Good evening, campers. Welcome to our annual tradition of Campfire Tales at Camp Crystal Cove. My name is Counselor Gray, and I sincerely hope that your stay has been a positive experience. It has come to my attention that many of you are concerned about the incident at Cabin 6. Rest assured that the police have confirmed it was self-inflicted. I assure you that they're only rumors, so think of it like hazing the newbies for the locals. And besides, let's not let this ruin your experience. It was a horrible tragedy, but all of you are still here, so I assume that you're ready to move on just as much as I am. Let's not let this get us down. Tonight, we begin our tales with a lone gentleman that's in the wrong place at the wrong time. In a tale I like to call, Someone Left Their Cell Phone in My Store. I Shouldn't Have Unlocked It. Let me start by saying, I am not a nosy person, and I'm definitely not a thief. So when I first noticed that the customer had left their phone, I ran outside to give it back to them. We're located in a little strip mall, so the parking lot is literally right outside. By the time I'd gotten there, the parking lot was empty. I'd tried to rationalize it, like maybe someone had picked him up and they'd driven away. Maybe I hadn't got outside as quickly as I thought. I shrugged it off and within 10 minutes, I was back to my normal routine, sitting and snacking on my favorite beef jerky. Here's where things started to get a little bit weird. You probably won't believe me. I mean, how can you? You weren't there. Listen, please don't judge me. I'm begging you. I need to get my story out there because there's no way in hell anyone will understand, especially when they come for me. And believe me, they will come for me. September is an especially slow month in retail. I've been working it for nearly 10 years, and every year is slow as hell. And when I say slow, I mean one customer per three hours. Kind of slow. The only people that tended to walk in were personal shoppers or old people. Everyone else buys this shit online now. Which leads us to my next predicament. It started as a little jingle in the drawer. You know, one of those little trills on an app where you're getting a notification or a reminder. I was pretty annoyed at this point because it reminded me of an app I used to buy and sell stuff online. I thought I'd turn off the notifications. I had already sold all my prized books just to cover rent. Not my proudest moment, but we do what we have to do. By the fourth and then 
fifth time it chimed, I scooped up my phone to turn off the notifications. I had already marked this as sold. Why are these jackasses bothering me? But here's the thing. It wasn't my phone. In fact, I hadn't even received any spam or texts. That meant that it was probably... Look, it's not your phone, I reminded myself. But after the dozenth trickle of messages and no calls, I decided to go ahead and pick it up. I mean, why not? It probably had a fingerprint lock on it anyway. I thought about just shutting it off, but then thought better of it in case the owner called the phone looking for it. Personally, if it were mine, I'd just use a phone locator and ping it. The guy had seemed older though, so maybe he didn't know how to. The red notification indicated that there were more than a thousand messages waiting for a response. Whoa. So I'm looking at it and it is the same app I used. Whatever this guy is selling, it is super popular. The most messages I'd ever received on there was when I gave stuff away for free. I bet he was doing that. Maybe an estate sale or something like that. I wish I could say that I put it back in the drawer and went about my business for the rest of the day. And to be fair, I had the first hour or so, but the messages just kept coming every few seconds. It was really getting under my skin and at the same time, piquing my curiosity. Over a thousand messages waiting for you and still counting? What the hell was this guy offering? Okay, I reasoned. Maybe I'll take just a little peek. I pulled down on the screen and then tapped the app. To my surprise, it logged in. The tab for messages was at the bottom and Admittedly, I shamelessly opened the top one. My eyes were instantly bombarded with a lot of text messages. It read, is this still available? Then a couple of question marks and then, hello? Hello? I squinted at the thumbnail. It was pale flesh colored and looked folded up from the image I couldn't exactly make out what it was. Well, I had gotten this far. No turning back now. I tapped the picture and waited as it pulled up. It appeared to be a jumble mess. I still couldn't make sense of what I was seeing. It looked like a piece of furniture straight out of a Halloween shop. The feet looked like they were made of actual feet. The rest of the chair, I guess we'll call it, was made up of various body parts all sewn together. For reference, the seller stood next to it and you could see him from the neck down. I recognized the same shirt he had worn into our store. Okay, not what I was expecting, but couldn't be what all the messages were about. 
Disturbed, I click on the messages again. The next photo was more disgusting than the last. I retched and quickly closed the picture. Holy shit. This guy was fucked up. I needed to call the police right away. You bet your ass that I was going to. Until this next part. I had my phone in my hand when it went off. First, it rang. I do what I always do when I don't recognize the number. I reject the call. Big mistake. My phone shut itself off. I mean, straight away. It was like by rejecting that call, I shut off the power instead. I nearly jump out of my skin when the store phone rang. I was shaking, but I put my game face on and picked up the phone. Thank you for calling. Why didn't you pick up the phone? I'm, I'm sorry? Well, you were enthralled by my apps and going through my private messages, but you couldn't pick up your phone? Jesus. Yes, I suspect you'll pray to him soon enough. Listen, pal, you're a piece of shit, and I'm going to call the police right fucking now. Hmm, are you, though? I swallowed a few times in confusion. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? That's a little kid. That is so beyond fucked. He laughed at me. He actually laughed at me. The kind of laugh that makes you think they know something that you don't. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you touched my phone with your bare hand. I'm also going to take a guess that all the cameras in your store don't work. I was completely silent. He had me there. But it didn't change the fact that this was his phone with his info stored on it. All of this was just stupid. He was trying to scare me anyway. Fuck you. You don't have shit on me, I shouted. He paused and then chuckled. <laughs> Call the police, Richard. Go ahead. The line went dead. Shaken, I replaced the phone back on the cradle. What the fuck was going on? He wanted me to call the cops? He told me to. He even knew my name. I glanced down at my shirt and then sigh in relief. <sighs> I'm a fucking moron. My name was on my shirt. I was going to nail this asshole the cops would take me seriously. It's not like I would call the police on myself if I were guilty. I felt sick to my stomach as I heard the cute jingle going off repeatedly. How old do these people think that child was? Chained up like that? Covered in? I bent over the trash and puked until I couldn't anymore. First things first. My hand shook hard, but I managed to take a few breaths and steady them enough to pick up the phone. I dialed nine when the phone lit up. 
His words came back to me. Call the police, Richard. Go ahead. I was about to hang up on whoever was calling when I looked down at the phone. It was actually a text. A text from someone labeled Mom. Hey, honey. I was thinking about making a pizza tonight. Does that sound good? My eyebrows creased as I looked at the message again. Mom had always spelled honey that way. H-U-N-N-I-E. So I knew it was her. But the terrifying thing is, this wasn't my phone. I picked up my own phone, unlocking the screen. It was still blank. I searched through my apps, frantically looking for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I sighed as they popped up. I clicked my Instagram and frowned. It was asking me to log in. I tried to select to log in with Facebook and sighed in frustration when it said my account wasn't found. What the hell? The phone next to me went off again. I opened the message. Hey dude, you still going to come this weekend? I got the Doritos if you got some Cokes. The name on the text read JB. His name was Josh, but he'd always hated it and just went by JB. We all knew that. I also knew that we were supposed to have a chill online stream with him, me, and his followers. Fuck. This was all so fucked. It was wrong. I grabbed the phone and looked at it again. It was exactly like mine. A black galaxy with a black cover. A black cover with a WW logo on it, just like mine of my favorite superhero. I clicked on app after app, all logged into my accounts with saved passwords from everything. This guy had every password I ever owned, all logged in to this device under my name with my fingerprints. Oh shit, oh. Fuck, I swear to you guys, it wasn't me, and I, I didn't do this. I couldn't do that to anybody, especially a child. The rest of yesterday had gone uneventful. I don't know why, but I still didn't call the police. There's an image waiting for me on my new phone. I've tried texting and calling on my other phone, the one that was mine. But every time I do it, it just hangs up, immediately telling me that my text messages aren't going through or that I can't make a call. I have tried everything from resetting it, even factory resetting it, and turning it off and then on, and even weirder is the fact that I can't download anything on it, even on Wi-Fi. It's like the thing all of a sudden bricked. I think I'm going to go ahead and get a new one later today after my shift. Since last night until all the way this morning, 
the messages haven't stopped. Even worse, anytime I try to delete the messages, they appear in my email. Full graphic images. I've tried blocking all of the emails and I delete them all, but they still appear. I've changed every single one of my passwords, my bank account, all of my social media accounts, and got a new phone number. I was actually a little late coming into work today because of it. I foolishly thought that that was it. I'd escaped it. Until I pulled into the parking lot at work. Less than 10 minutes, the jingle went off from the app. I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. The messages just kept pouring in again, one after the other. Who in the actual fuck is this guy? How is he transferring my shit over like this? I didn't even know this was possible. I thought I had this all figured out, you know? I was going to attempt to do my research tonight so I could have a solid leg to stand on when I called the police. But the more I've asked people online, all of them told me it was in my best interest to just start my life over and never mention it again. I'm so torn, you know? I want to do the right thing, but how can I when I know that it'll mean years of convincing juries, uh, people, police, anyone, and definitely some jail time while trying to prove my innocence. Even if I don't get jail time, I'll spend years of my life in and out of courtrooms. No one will believe me. I'll be labeled a serial killer or worse, maybe a pedophile. I haven't looked at any more of the pictures, but the ones I did see were enough to lock me or anyone away forever. Jesus, fuck all that blood. I, I can't get that out of my head. It's gonna be stuck there forever. Listen, the next part that I'm sharing with you, the one that made me lose the contents of my stomach earlier, well, you should probably skip past this part because it's brutal. We're talking like Texas Chainsaw Massacre brutal. This will mess you up for the rest of your life, so please save yourself and anyone listening from hearing what I'm about to tell you. Look, I know it's not right, but I have to share this with someone. I'm, I'm going fucking insane, all right? My hands can't stop shaking. Oh, fuck, those, those poor kids. They, they have to be forced to, to do this. It, they have to be. God knows what else they've been through. All of them are skin 
it's it's like just bone with skin growing over it you know it's not even just that it it's like an afterthought like as if the bones themselves were the living creatures and the skin is just forming over it i don't I don't know if I'm giving it justice, but look, I, I'm trying my best here. And f- fuck me, the, the look on these kids' faces. And look, I, I don't mean to be crude. I, I'm just relating to what I know. But have you ever actually seen someone that's just died? Or maybe a junkie that OD'd their eyes they have this really weird glaze over them like a film or something I'd I only know because you know I like I said I, I saw it with my friends and you know my dad he he OD'd and died himself so Look, I I know this all sounds really messed up, I'm aware, but his eyes, my my father's eyes, look the same moments before he stopped breathing. It's like that last second, you just know that that breath It's gonna be their last. This child, the one in the photo, had the very same look, the same eyes. The eyes just before death. They were covered, I mean covered, in blood and parts. Their entire body was covered in human parts. It it gets worse. Remember, I I warned you, you still have time. Just, Just skip through. Just go about your happy day. Do something else. Forget you ever heard this. But remember, I tried my best to tell you. Some of these parts were large. They looked like they belonged to an adult. But then... Fuck. Don't make me say it. Fucking Christ. It was other children. Do you know why a child was covered in blood? I want you to think long and hard about starving. I mean, really starving. Like the kind that'll leave you desperate to eat dirt or or bugs, literally anything that gets near you that was the level 
of this poor, thin child. Not only were they covered in who knows how many other parts of any known age. I haven't got to the reason for not getting any sleep last night or eating anything since then. It's all I can think about. All I can see. I mean, this is so fucked, you guys. A child, that little baby, was fucking eating itself. I gotta go for a while. <clears throat> I, um, I finished my work day somehow. Um, he hasn't messaged or called me anymore. I still haven't had the courage to look at that image. That text message with the question mark on it. And it says, image attached. I, I don't have the heart or the stomach to see what this psycho has prepared for me or what he's doing in my name, God only knows. But he's doing him on my accounts. I've mostly grown immune to all the vibrations in my pocket throughout the day. I don't trust throwing it out in case he's watching me because who the fuck knows what this guy is gonna do, you know? I, I don't want to destroy it because of evidence. I'm still clinging to some belief in human compassion. Maybe people will believe me, you know? But <laughs> all this fucking technology, it's, it's really fucked me. I've just let myself be controlled by it all and it can be used as evidence in court now and even as I think about all this, I know they won't. Not until I actually prove that this guy, he's out there. Guys, I'm, I'm sitting at my computer at home now and about 20 minutes ago, I just discovered the truth. He's not in another state. Neither are they. And now, I know that I am unequivocally fucked. In fact, it could be the neighbor for all I know. It's in the same fucking area as my house. I've only managed to reverse image search two of the pictures. The ones that I'd already seen. How long has this been going on? Has he been watching me? 
this whole time. You know, I'm beginning to wonder if it is me doing all of this. And if I can even believe myself anymore. I'm going to try my best to keep my phone on record for all of you. Just so maybe someday it can be used as evidence to prove my innocence or something. I don't, or maybe prove I need to be locked away forever. Because if I fucking did that shit, my ass needs to be locked up. And the worst part about it is my mother's gone missing. She never came home last night. Her job called earlier asking if she was coming in. I didn't even know that they had the landline number. I mean, who uses that anymore? I don't even know why we still have it. I mean, I was a little worried when she didn't show last night because, you know, we'd planned to have pizza and watch a movie. I was supposed to go with the guys later, but... You know, nurses sometimes have to work double shifts. It's not that uncommon. She's done it before, and I'm pretty much a grown-up now, so... And in some of those buildings uh, she has to work in, the reception's just shit, you know? So... I didn't get too concerned. I wish I had. Now, that was one thing, but not coming home the next day or showing up for a shift, big deal. My mother is the sort of woman that hasn't missed a shift since the 90s. Pretty sure she's not going to mess up that track record unless something fucking heavy went down, you know? I don't want to admit this shit. I'm pretty sure this is because I ignored that image. That fucking psycho sent me. This was pretty much his way of saying he wasn't about to be ignored. Apparently, I didn't fucking learn the first time. You know, a big part of me wanted to think that I was being pranked. You know, the, the guys have done maybe one or two extreme pranks for their viewers online. Um, but nothing like this. JB might be a jackass sometimes, but he's not smart enough to pull all this shit off. Both of us know that. Um, it's not really like I'm being mean about it. But you know, in my heart, I know that this is something beyond disgusting and he wouldn't do something like this. I've been in denial ever since all of this started and you know, I've just been a coward. I've brought this down on myself 
and on the only family I have. <laughs> I'm fucking stupid, you know? <laughs> I've been looking for any possible way to not have anything to do with this. But I don't. I don't have a fucking choice in this matter. You guys, I, I, I don't. I don't want this kind of fucking responsibility. I didn't ask for any of this shit. Why did this asshole pick me? He's forcing me every step of the way. And by ignoring him, I'm just pissing him off. And who knows what my mom is suffering right now from my own stupidity. It's one thing if it's me, but she doesn't need to be hurt over this. A woman has done everything for me. She did before and then some after. My dad decided that drugs were better than his family. You know, I'm getting fucking mad at this point. And you know, mostly confused. But my anger is slowly mounting at the sheer arrogance of this fucking guy. Look, squeamish or not, I'm going to have to man up and look through more of these photos. I need to reverse image all of these. Maybe they'll give me some kind of clue. You know, something. My answer was another text message. I knew better than to ignore it this time. I snatched it up and opened the message. Maybe you'll do better at not ignoring me this time. There's an image above it. I recognized this chair immediately from the other photos I've looked through. And then I see my mother's sandals. I clicked on the image. She honestly looks better than I thought she would. The only thing that I'm noticing is a few small bruises by her left eye and a thin trickle of blood from her head. But her eyes are closed, so... That either means she's knocked out or... scared. My mom, she's not super old. But... I know a head injury on a woman that's 
nearing her 50s, that's not gonna be a good thing. I'm so fucking angry. But I know I need to respond. So, I'm just gonna take a few breaths and do my best. All right. You have my attention. What do you want? <laughs> His response is a single smile emoji. <laughs> a fucking smile emoji. Like we're 12 or something, you know? Seconds go by, minutes. I'm to the point that I've chewed all my fingernails off and I'm even bleeding a little bit from it. But finally, I get a message from him. You know what it is? It's this fucker's address. 1309 David Street. Come through the side gate and bring no one. Enter the back door and sit at the kitchen table. Put your hands on the table and do not move. If you call the police, I will kill her and then I will kill you. My hands are resting on the table. There's this strange odor that's filled the house. It doesn't smell bad. In fact, it actually smells pretty good. It's something similar to a chicken pot pie. I could smell flour, carrots, onions. Maybe some, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but I guess my brain's just trying to pick out something to distract itself with. But, you know, there's this other smell, like a rich, creamy smell. And despite the last 48 hours of my life being like something out of a horror story. My stomach is growling. I guess it had been a while since I'd eaten. Richard, I'm so glad that you could make it. His voice sounded different than I expected. You know, I expected it to creep me out or make my skin crawl. It was pleasant, like an older gentleman that was talking to a friend. I immediately stared down at the table, careful to not look over at him. He's standing in the doorway. Oh, now, there's no reason for that. You can look at me. I won't harm you. 
I keep my eyes glued to the table, sure that this is some kind of trick. I'm really thrown by this nice guy act. He sounds genuine, like he really wants to be nice to me. My stomach twists and knots. Really, I won't do you any harm. I just wanted to chat. I promise. And my mom? I ask. I promise I won't harm her if you look at me. I prefer to look you in the eye. You can tell a lot about a man by looking him in the eyes. As a matter of fact, I prefer it. His words were friendly, but there was an unspoken warning there. You're a man, aren't you, Richard? Now he's insulting my manhood. But it's his other words that lead me to think that I should listen, not the insult. I nod and tilt my head up and then stare right into his eyes. I was right. He's older. But not super old. His eyes are kind, large and sort of a watery shade of blue. He's got creases just around his eyes. You know, the kind where people spent most of their life smiling versus frowning. The kind that come from easy living. He's dressed in a blue polo with khaki shorts and brown loafers. He's the epitome of a well-off dad that just got back from the store. His hair's grayed around the temple, and he has a slender yet masculine jawline. He doesn't look particularly strong, but I can tell he keeps himself in shape. It's what's in his hands that intrigue me. Two bowls with equal looking pies and forks sticking out of them. He pads over and sets them on the table, scooting the one from his right hand to me. My stomach rumbles audibly as the smell reaches my nose. It smells so damn good. I eye it warily as he digs into his own. After eating a couple of bites from his, he sighs, sticks the fork into mine, and takes a scoopful into his mouth. Eat, Richard. You're going to need your strength, he says soothingly. I don't really want to, but I know this is part of his game. 
control, power. These sorts of guys thrive off of it. I stare down at the golden crust and smooth, creamy soup-like filling. Despite it all, he's right. I do need to eat. He smiles, raising his eyebrows and then leans in. Don't be shy. It's homemade. None of that store-bought junk here made it just last night. Popped it in the freezer and baked it just a little while ago. He stuffed more into his mouth. You'll love it, I promise. It's my mama's recipe. She won best in state with this a few years ago. I picked up a fork and cut into the crust. There was an audible crunch as I scooped it out. He wasn't joking about the flavor. The crust was perfectly flaky. It was buttery and the inside was creamy and every bit as smooth and decadent as I thought. It might have been that I was hungry, but this had been the best meat pie I'd ever eaten. He smiled at me. How does it taste? I'm still baffled by him, but I nod. It's good. I scoop more into my mouth. Really good, I add. He's all grins from ear to ear and slaps the table. See? You thought I was fibbing, didn't you? He leans over his own and shovels a bit more. I grin nervously and relax a degree, looking around. I hope he hasn't harmed my mom too much. I don't know what this man is planning or what he wants to do with me. But I know that I know too much. It was time. I swallow a few times, take a breath, and start my plea. Please don't hurt her because of me. Let's not talk business over food now. This is sacred. He interrupts angrily. People these days, they don't understand about hunger. You can walk down the street and see the obesity. They raise their damn kids the same way. Oh. He covers his mouth. Please, excuse my obscenities. That wasn't very gentlemanly of me. I nod, shaking my head up and down like an idiot, as if he needs my permission. He eyes my fork hovering over my bowl, long enough that I get the point and quickly spoon more into my mouth. His smile, 
returns and his face relaxes. I eat quietly, my eyes returning to the table. I thought about what he was saying, a knot of dread forming in my own stomach. My own mother was pretty heavy set for her height. She looked like she could have been close to about 200 pounds and was always fussing about losing weight. She'd tried different diets over the years, but would constantly sabotage herself and eat candy or cookies. I, I never had the heart to, you know, get on to her. I think she kind of gave up some time ago. So, he doesn't like people that take food for granted, okay, or overate. Was this why we were being targeted? I'm not thin as a rail, but I'm nowhere near heavy. Most parents I get don't deserve their children. They take care of themselves, you see. I have to teach those children and parents a lesson about not taking life for granted. He leans back and then finishes the last bite of his food. He neatly dabs at his mouth with the napkin, sets it down, and then crosses his arms. I'm about halfway done with my own when I finally get to the meat. The veggies had been extremely delicious, but the meat? It was unlike anything I'd ever had. It was moist and firm, and it fell apart in my mouth. It had some sort of gamey flavor, but it wasn't bad. Kind of like duck, if you've ever had that. I could tell it had been marinated or possibly pressure cooked to make it juicy. Well now, you've made it to the best part. That is a secret family recipe right there. Mama? was so hung up on it, she'd never tell any of us. He sighed and brushed at invisible crumbs on his pants. Except me. I nodded, trying to not say anything that would upset him anymore. Until just a few moments ago, you'd think this guy was some pig-headed old man stuck in his ways. I know the reality behind his snake-like southern charm and the anger that really seethed below. I want to get out of here. I want him to spit it out and tell me how I can save my mother. Whatever he wants. I'd even kill if I had to. Not like my life is going anywhere and I'm already ruined unless I do whatever he, this asshole wants 
After several long minutes, I'm able to stomach the last of the pie. I follow suit like he did earlier and clean off my face and hands. Then I sit with my hands folded and wait. He surprises me by extending his hand. There's a good boy. All right now, go on and say your piece. There's a large lump in my throat and I'm sure he can see me visibly shaking. He knows I'm scared. He knows he has me. Secretly? He must be jumping for joy at the chance to watch me squirm. I want answers. I want to know why me? Why all of this? Why has he chosen to ruin my life? I'm just some guy trying to get by. I really want to ask all of this, but I can see it in his eyes. He's testing me. And if I want this to have some sort of resolution, I'll have to do it his way. I steady my voice. What do you want from me? I try to sound as non-threatening as I can, hoping to appeal some form of his human side, if he even has one. He smiles at me again, but this time, it's another sort of smile, one that makes me believe that he already has what he's looking for. Then, as if reading my own thoughts, he says, Oh, I've already gotten that. You see, Richard, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. I'll do it again once you've left, and I'll get away with it. He pauses and inches closer. Don't try to find me. Don't be brave. And just live what life you have left. You're free to go on about your way. I sit very still, staring across at him. Wait, what do you mean? What about my mother? His grin gets wider. She's here. Don't you worry. It's not what he says, but how he's said it. Like a game he's playing with a child who doesn't yet understand the rules. He leans in real close, so close that I can smell his breath. It lingers in the air, the sweet smell of carrots, potatoes, and the delicious meat. Tell me again, 
Richard, how did you enjoy the meat pie? Poor Richard. It seems like he was an unfortunate target of a sociopathic cannibal. <laughs> kind of reminds me of Hannibal the cannibal. Has a nice ring to it. In any case, let's turn our attention over to our next campfire horror story. Taily Poe. If you're not familiar with this one, relax and enjoy this creepy creature of the night. It's terrible what they say happened to old Jack Greer. Hmm, terrible. But we really can't say that he should have been surprised. When you're living alone up there in the mountains, there's creatures you, you never want to mess with if you catch my drift. Especially in the dead of winter. None of this sort of thing happens in the spring when you can come down. You see, the mountains are a strange place. Especially when the weather takes a turn. None of us ever hunt up there alone for longer than three days. But Jack. Jack was a little strange in the head. He was one of those, um, rebellious sorts. You say rebellious, I say damn fool. And well, once they found him in the thaw, wasn't much left of him. You see, he didn't like society much. He spent nearly all his time in that cabin, just like his great, great grandpappy did. You see, their home sat up against a cliff in such a way that the snow would fall on it and the ice sort of gathered like jagged teeth. That's why they called it Jawbone Ridge, if you hadn't guessed. Brunt of us uh, hunt in the summertime for sport and in the fall to feed the little ones. But we stay home during the winter for good reason. And this story can attest for that. Now, the ridge is treacherous once November starts brewing, you see. And if you get caught up there when the weather turns, well, it ain't gonna go right for you. The whole lee side of the mountain is a graveyard holding the bones of dozens of men who pissed around up there alone, and even a few who went up there in parties and tried to play it smart. You see, that land is like a black hole. It's vast, merciless, and it'll slowly swirl you around till it drags the life right out of your lungs. There's some folk that say that even the Lord wouldn't be able to pry those corpses out of the mountain's grip. And so as October came and went, and we'd all brought back deer and hares, some possum and coons, our women folks skinned them and 
dried them in the smokers, so as we could have some meat over the long winter. And old Jack Greer went up there too. But he didn't just go with the gun. He filled up his big wooden barrel with supplies, and he had his three hounds at his heels. He carried a big, bulging knapsack, weighing him down. His gun was slung over one arm, and his axe was tucked under the other, and we knew something else was hidden up underneath them parts, especially under the top on his wheelbarrow. He was covered in furs, even though it was a fairly warm October, and we knew he meant to stay there well into the winter. Ain't no man carry that much unless he planned to stay. In his usual way, he didn't say a word to any of us as we went up the trails and split off in our own separate ways. Johnny Aberdeen, he was the last to see him, lugging his barrow into the hills, the three dogs close behind, and the sun sinking into them shadows. Now old Betty McAllister had a witching touch, they say. She's not gone over to the darkness, at least we don't think. But when her grandmammy came over the hills from the old country, our great-great-grandparents heard that her grandmammy, that is Betty's great-great-grandmammy, had been strung up for a witch. Well, she goes to Sunday meeting, and she says the Lord's Prayer, and says it well. But she has a touch about her, you know? And some say she has the second sight. She's old as dust, and remembers all the lore of that mountain. And when she dreamed about old Jack Greer that third week of December, Maybe a month after the big blizzard snowed us off in the valley, we knew something dreadful had happened to him. So, once the snows had thawed the week after the epiphany, we sent a party of men to find him. And when they found him, we remembered what old Betty McAllister dreamed. As I said, the hunters have returned with hares and coons, some even a buck, they were lucky enough. But Johnny Aberdeen said he saw smoke coming from the lee side under Jawbone Ridge. And we knew old Jack was fixing to stay up there for a while. Halloween had come and passed. Old Jack stayed put. The election day came, but Jack didn't come down from the hills to vote. Then Thanksgiving came. And the hunters went to fetch turkeys from the thickets. And they said they saw the smoke coming up in curls from that old jawbone ridge. Still alive and still staying put. But it was the day after Thanksgiving. The weather shifted. The clouds were kind of an eerie grayish green. Dark with snow. Betty figures that Jack was stuck in his cabin up there under the ridge, even though he had the lee. She tells us he was expecting bad weather, so it didn't trouble him none. But she also says that his food ran out the second week of Advent. And when she told us the rest, we knew 
that Jack was dead. He was snowed in with his dogs. He could force his way out about a quarter mile if he absolutely had to, but it was risky, especially with the wind shifting the banks and knocking over the trees without any warning. So, logically, he stayed put, as any man would. And being the time of year it was, there were no deer to be found or coons to be grabbed. He was just there with three dogs, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The dogs were his kin. As far as he was concerned, he was just looking out for food for them as much as himself. They'd bring in a few squirrels at first, catch some mice, boiled roots and walnuts for broth. It was out of the question to put the hounds to the axe, but time was running out for them. It had been several days since any of them had had a bite. Just melted snow to drink. That's when we think he first saw it. It was the most curious critter he'd ever laid eyes on, just scuffling in the shadows at the far side of the cabin, chasing something on the ground as if it was the only creature in the room. The hounds watched it warily, cause it was foreign to them. It was black from head to foot and half the size of any of the hounds. Something similar to a cat. It sorta looked like a cat with pointed, tufted ears and great golden eyes that flashed from deep within the shadows. But it wasn't quite a cat, not like the one that old Betty keeps and has been keeping for damn near 20 years. Very strange, unaging tomcat because its paws were clumsy and large, the size of apples and it flourished a great shaggy tail, black as coal and twice the length of its spine. The creature pounced on the moth or whatever it was chasing and delighted at the sight of its victory. With a casual glance, it finally looked over at old Jack. It was then he saw its eyes, wide and glowing like two embers smoldering in a hearth. It blinked twice at him before it turned back to the crushed insect under its ungainly paw. Now old Jack, he saw this as an opportunity. While the creature played, he reached over for his gun. He grabbed it gently and ever so slowly, as slow as you ever did see, Without even standing up from his chair, he held the stock against his shoulder, leveled the tube at the creature, and then rested his thumb on the hammer. It sounded with a hollow steel click. And the demon's eyes suddenly rose with a jerk. They were staring right at him. Jack tilted the barrel so that it was pointed directly between its eyes and he pulled the trigger tight 
with a sudden jerk. The cap snapped and a whiff of powder stung his nostrils. But the main charge hadn't gone off. He sat there until he realized that the powder had probably been ruined by the snow. He set that rifle down and grabbed his axe that was leaning against the wood pile at his elbow. The creature's two eyes watched him unblinking in the moonlight. They blazed with both fear and wonder. Now old Jack, he was losing patience because now he didn't take it slow. He snatched that axe by the very end of the hickory handle and swung wide toward the creature. But it was quick as it was nimble and it raced up the wall, across the ceiling and then down to the floor, scuttling quickly away from Jack's frantic blows. Now the hounds, the hounds could smell that there was something not right about this demon. So they backed away and just watched. The creature was on the floor, running madly for the fireplace. A clump of pine branches was snapping with large white and blue flames, but it didn't seem to care. It was making a mad dash for the chimney and then it was among the fire and through it and going up. Old Jack knew it was now or never and by God, he swung his axe mightily toward the creature. And while it nearly got away, its tail didn't quite make it. It tumbled into the fire with a loud thud. None of it could be wasted, so he reached into the flames and recovered its tail. Compared to roots and nuts, the prospect of boiling the new tail must have seemed like a feast. So he quickly melted a kettle of snow, skinned the member, and boiled away the meat and sinew. He added a few dried herbs, a couple of bay leaves, some sprigs of rosemary, he added them in the brew, along with some snips of wild garlic he'd found uh, growing in the dirt by the door. It rendered an oily, pungent broth that filled the cabin with a greasy steam. He greedily slurped down half the soup, chewing the bones into pulp and sucking out the marrow. He gave the rest to the dogs who sniffed it, but they refused take a bite. And so he finished what was left, and as the wind pounded its way across Jawbone Ridge, he was thankful to be on the lee side, where he was safe and warm. Now Jack must have been out for quite some time, because when he woke, it was still pitch black outside, probably about a quarter to midnight or so. He stood and stretched and doused the lantern, leaving only the remains of the three smoldering logs in the fireplace. He climbed the ladder to his loft, which made up his bedroom, from a bunch of bear skins and beaver pelts piled on top of a bed of fresh hay that he changed every couple of months. It was as warm as anyone could hope for, 
and with his belly heavy with the soup, it would be easy for him to fall back asleep for the remainder of the night. He woke a few hours later to the sound of scratching at the front door. He sat for a spell and listened to the noise. It was intentional all right, like something curiously digging at the door. Where sometimes bears do it when they're marking their territory or trying to get to food. That was probably it, just a bear. The air left his lungs as the creature started beating on the door. It threw all of its force against it, determined to get in there. And now a bear, a bear wouldn't do this. He would just open it, walk inside, and take what he wanted. This was something trying to break in, and it was much smaller, you see. His eyes darted across the room. His dogs, where were his dogs? He finally spotted them over in a corner, shaking and whining. They wouldn't budge, no matter how much Jack called to him. Done with all of this and his dog's cowardice, he came down, grabbed the axe, and gripped it by the middle of the handle before he threw open the door. But there was nothing there, just the howling of the wind in the distance and the cloudless night sky with the moon and stars shining bright. But when he looked down, there were clearly prints in the snow near his feet, large paw prints, strangely close together, resembling the marks of a house cat, but heavier, you see, almost wolf-like in their heft. He walked along the front, warily surveying the damage. The outside planks had been lacerated viciously, the gray box stripped with deep yellow gashes up and down, crisscrossing and streaked wildly, as if some desperate creature had been trying to slash his way inside. Just then, he heard a frantic clatter and glanced over his shoulder, just in time to see the three hounds barging through the door and down the path into the deadly snow. They'd stayed with him through harsher starving times, had saved him from the attacks of two bears, three wolves, and one bobcat. They had been scored with gnarled white scars from their combats and were disciplined from aged experience and hardship, and yet they ran. They ran away from him, away from the kettle that stank of the demon's tail stew, and away from the lacerated door. And it was while old Jack Greer stared after them into the darkness and the trees, he heard something. At first, 
He thought it'd been some sort of bat, or heavy insect, or maybe it'd been the rasp of his hinges on the door. However, it was a horrible, terrible voice. It was harsh and gargled, inhuman, with a rasp that could give the devil a run for his money. The word meant nothing to Jack Greer, other than maybe he was just delusional and feverish with the storm. After all, it had been a creature and only that. He glanced into the trees above and thought he saw two golden cylinders blazing in the dark, but in the blink of an eye, they'd gone. Now while he was quick to dismiss what had happened, he was also not that much of a fool. He went inside with his axe and his lamp, closed the door tightly, and then barred it with shaking hands, then instantly went to his rifle and began to take it apart. He turned his lantern up to cast more light around the dusty cabin, a ghostly green-white light that threw heavy brown shadows. Finally, that barrel came out and away from the stock, and there in the breach was the wet charge of powder like a lump of clay. He cast it in the fire where the sulfur sizzled and released a brown smoke. He had just barely slid the barrel back into place and clamped it tight when he heard a faint, playful scratch on the door. His heart sank. His ammunition was in a bag off to the side with his dry, paper cartridges and the only chance he had to defend himself. The scratching suddenly picked up tempo and then volume, clattering in his ears while the door rattled against the jams. He grabbed a dry cartridge, bit the end off and poured the powder down the barrel, then the greased bullet, and then he rammed them home. He fumbled to apply the cap to his gun lock when he heard a muffled but strong raspy moan. Taily Po, Taily Po, you've got my Taily Po. Without a second thought, he aimed at that spot in the door where a few thin streaks of black were showing through the savaged wood, and he pulled the trigger. The charge exploded, and the ball punched through the wood and into that patch of darkness. Finally, the door stopped its rattling, and there was no voice on the other side. He sat for a while, to hear a voice or a sound, but none came. Nothing happened 
Old Jack was a good hunter with strong nerves, but he had never wanted to be in town right now as much as he did in this moment. He settled the gun against the wall and warily trudged up the ladder to his loft. He laid down on the pelts and pulled the blankets up to his jaw. He fell asleep almost instantly, but his dreams were of witches, goblins, and skeletons, ghosts in the graveyards at night. He woke to the sound of crashed wood. He realized his door had been crushed in. His hand reached out to his side. There was no rifle. It was downstairs. There was no razor-sharp axe. It was on the woodpile. There wasn't even a hunting knife. It was with his ammunition bag. He pulled the quilt up desperately. He'd left the oil lamp burning because a ghostly light, the color of spoiled cream, was faintly lapping the wall opposite him and the ladder stood silhouetted against it, black and stark, like the iron rail of a cemetery. And though the light was low, he could see shadows moving around, as if something were walking around the room below him, searching. He reasoned that maybe the creature wouldn't be able to climb to him. He'd bit his tongue to keep from crying out, but when he saw something black and cat-like climbing up the cabin wall with the speed and comfort of a salamander, its head wheeling about from side to side like a blind man's cane. His hind corners only sported about three inches of tail. It twitched back and forth from what Jack imagined must have been the anticipation of getting its prey. Quick as a flash, its jaws opened, its maw red with long yellow teeth, and a voice that seemed to roll from its throat. Tailypo, Tailypo, you've got my Tailypo. But I don't have it, Jack moaned. It's gone. It's all gone. It's been eaten. You can't have her back. The cat-like creature slithered frantically up the wall, across the ceiling, till it was over the loft. And then it let go and fell to the floor in front of Jack's bed. There was a silent moment of dread, and then he saw two pointed, tufted black ears slowly rise between his feet. Then a furry, round head, and two gleaming eyes. I done told you now, Jack pleaded. I ain't got your taily pole. It's all gone, boiled to soup and ate. I'm sorry, 
I don't got it. But the creature's eyes didn't blink, you see. Its head tilted curiously until it was almost perpendicular to its body. Watch an old Jack. Its purple tongue lolled out of its mouth and the eyes sparkled. Tailypo. Tailypo. You've got my Tailypo. But I just told you I don't. And to Jack's horror, he knew what the demon was saying. And that was the end of old Jack Greer. They found his dogs a few days later. They'd run all the way back to town. Never were the same. Had to take him out in the field a few months later. The town folk had busted into the cabin only to find all the gore, gunshots and scratch marks along the outside and inside of the cabin. The lamp had been burned dry on the table and the axe was near the fireplace, dark with blood stains. And then there he was, the man himself in bed. He was stone dead, face wide as paper, clotted with putrid gore, ripped open from gullet to groin. Now we don't know if old Betty's dream is all true, but young Johnny Aberdeen was up on the ridge last November hunting turkeys for the Thanksgiving dinner when he came upon a black thicket of ashen trees under the shadow of that flint cliff where you could see your breath in the shade even in the summertime he was resting his gun against an old beech tree when he heard something up above him it was raspy, wispy like the wind, but he swore it was something speaking to him. And when he told us about what he'd heard, we all said it tied together. And now, ain't none of us go up there to that spot in the mountain, not even for an afternoon, because what Johnny heard High up there was a happy and smug Tailey Poe. Tailey Thank you for joining us on our second night of Campfire Tales at Camp Crystal Cove. We hope that you've had a wonderful journey with us tonight over the crackling flames. Please go back to your cabins as swiftly as possible. We're nearing the witching hour, you see. 
and some strange things can be found rustling through the trees. Some say they're haunted by those that have died on the grounds. But don't worry, I'm sure they're mostly harmless. So good night, sweet campers, and join us soon for our last and final Campfire Tales at Camp Crystal Cove. Dream well, friends.